Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, good morning. Good morning. Way too early. Way too early for us, but sometimes you got to do it when you have a great guest. And today is a day like that. It is Monday, April the 26th. It is actually the morning after the Academy Awards. We'll talk about that a little bit after the uh, after our guest. Uh, he is a legendary actor whose IMDb page reaches back 50 years. His films include Scarface, The Name of the Rose, Star Trek Insurrection, Mobsters, Mighty Aphrodite, Inside Llewellyn Davis, and The Grand Budapest Hotel. His most famous role is as Salieri in the Best Picture winner Amadeus. For that role, he won the Oscar for Best Actor. And his latest show is the Apple TV Plus comedy Mythic Quest, with season two premiering on May the 7th. F. Murray Abraham is here. Murray, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Are you kidding? Thank you. I kind of want to start here. Um, We're on Monday, April the 26th, and it is the day after the Academy Awards. Um, I'm assuming, do you watch the Academy Academy Awards differently since you've actually been there and and won one? Well, I made a vow never to watch until I was part of it. So I haven't (laughs) seen it. No, I'm sorry. That's that's being silly. (laughs) Oh, no, you look at it very differently. For one thing, you don't long for it anymore. It was, it's a great release when you have one because you don't, you know, like so many other actors, wish you had one because you have. Up until then, I would be, I wake up uh, making speeches around Oscar time, even if I wasn't in contention. And I think everyone does, don't you? Um, I know that uh, as an actor, when I was young, I thought about making speeches and probably sure. may have in, in front of the mirror a time sure. or two. Sure. Um, but you got to do it for real. What are you? Is that just a blur to you now that it that 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 night happened and that you gave your speech? What do you remember of it? I'll tell you sincerely. It's clearer now than it was then, oddly enough, because of so many people who have seen it and mention it. At first, I didn't want to hear about it because. It was all anyone talked about. And now it's cool. It's, it's fine because it's been so good to me, you know, after all. I wanted to know, you know, what it felt like to be, to go up against your co-star. Oh, um, your acceptance yeah, speech, which I just listened to again, um, was so gracious and so classy. But I wondered because you had such a close relationship with, with Tom Hulse and obviously had a lot of respect for him. Um, yeah. So what did it feel like to go up against him? Well, it wasn't uh, that up against so much as we were afraid it was going to split the vote and it was going to go to somebody who was not part of our movie. I, I think that was, a, that was a worry. I never thought about against him. But oddly enough, our relationship was tenuous because I cultivated a distance from the rest of the company when we were filming for six months. I lived in a different hotel. I it was an old-fashioned hotel. They were in a modern hotel. And I just didn't associate with them. I thought that was the correct thing to do. Only years later did Tom and I become friends. Uh, did you, did you do that because of, the, because of the roles that you had, again, yeah. you know, for, for your character? I mean, is that yeah. what you did? It? I thought it was uh, important. 
And so I did. And it was, it paid off because I did maintain a distance. It was a little lonely, six months, you know, in Prague, but I met a lot of, a lot of good Bohemian people and found out why they're called Bohemians. They're great. They're great people. Anyway, it turns out that Tom moved in across the street from me here in, in Manhattan on 11th Street. I'm at Fifth Avenue and he was just around the corner. And then we became friends. Very nice. And he became a very successful producer, by the way. So that was always, you know, this is a legendary movie, legendary role. How did, how did you get this, uh, this part? I really, I promise you, I don't know. It was like, it was like a, it's a lot like this, this series I'm doing for Apple Plus. It's a gift from heaven. I'll tell you something. There are not many people I've worked with that I really loved. Wes Anderson is one of them. The Cone Brothers are another. I loved working with the, with, um, on stage. It, it really is my, my first love. I'm trying to think of a way to put this. Uh, when Milos wanted to cast this show, we all knew it was going to be a British actor. It was written by a Brit for a Brit. And Brits had won the top awards, both in England and here in New York on stage. So we knew it was a silly thing. And he asked us to come in and improvise, and I refused. I just simply said, I am no longer that. I want to be the principal actor. I want to I read for that role. And he said, no. And then he came back and said, do you want to you know, improvise with the other guys? I said, no, I, I want to read for that role. And he said, okay. And I auditioned. These were first and only drafts of music. But they showed no corrections of any kind. Not one. He had simply written down music already finished in his head. Page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. as no music is ever finished. And I thought it was over because when it, when it was finished, uh, I gave it my all, of course, but knowing it wasn't going to go to me. And when, it was, when he said cut, he left the set immediately. So I figured that's it. I'm, I didn't get it, so that's okay. And then uh, the next day he called and said he wanted me. Just like that. And I haven't got a clue why. He saw something in me that he trusted. And the same thing for Tom Hulse, because every actor in the world wanted to do Salieri. And some of the most famous actors, box office, blockbusters, some of them came with their makeup people to audition for that part. So you tell me how I got it, because I really don't know. <laughs> well, wow, I, wow. I think generally speaking, it is agreed upon that you were the perfect guy for the, for the part <laughs> at the perfect time. Uh, and there, there's an academy that, uh, that backs me up on that. Um, so now you're doing uh, Mythic Quest, which is a really oh. fun show. And we were talking about this a uh, little bit before we went on. Um, you are not necessarily a gamer. Uh, you don't understand uh, the the modern video game. What is the dynamic like that on the set? The dynamic is that I'm working with people who are a quarter my age, and they don't cut me any slack. And I don't cut them any slack either. 
they got some chops. But most of all, the thing about this set is everybody really likes each other. It just that does not happen very often. You know, if you're in a hit series and, and, and you're making a lot of money, even if you hate the show, you continue because you like the money, you know. And it's a chore to go to work. With this set, I can't wait to get there. It's like doing a play I love every night. I know you're all anxious to go home, but we have some housekeeping to take care of first. You received a packet. You're instructed to sign that packet and return it to me. So let's just be reasonable adults and sign our packet so we can all go home. Sound good? No. No. We have a meeting with Montreal next week. Where are we with the expansion? We've been working really well together. Boom! I've seen this pattern before. It's the calm before the divorce. We are not your parents. I was talking about my own divorce. Mm. Although, both apply, actually. I have a master's in fine arts. Wow, he didn't ask for a podcast. That's what I was going to say. I was just going to say. That's I don't just so much information. I feel like we're on the same page. We're really talking about it. Something bad is going to happen. I can't go on enough about this company of people. I really, I'm completely sincere. It was it's yeah. just great. You know, you talk about the age thing because, I, you know, I work in TV and I produce shows and more often than not, I'm the oldest person on the staff by sometimes 30 years. <laughs> and probably five times a day, I will make a reference and hear, I don't know uh-huh. what that means. <laughs> but, you know, it works both ways because exactly. I try to educate them. You know, mm-hmm. I'll talk about films or I'll talk about, I'll, I'll have like, a, like some reference. And they don't know what, and, and, and they don't know what it is. Um, and I try to educate them. So, um, and, and that's why when I, when I watch the show, it's so perfect to see you at your age be the guy in the show who has all of this experience, who comes up with the great ideas. That's what's the, what's the beauty of it, you know, because they do, they do, you know, they make fun of you as actors, but they do revere you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think that that that's a, a brilliant stroke on the part of the creators of this thing. How they came up with that idea? Well, it, I'm sure partly it was based on on uh, the Academy Award, but the story of Salieri, you know, his life. I think it's similar to this. Oh, by the way, I don't want to blow anything in this this current season, but it's quite. It takes quite a turn. It's still mm. funny. It's still relevant. Have you seen it? I have not seen season two yet. Only That's saw probably. season one. You're in for a surprise, man, because there's some great stuff. Great. I mean, it's different, and it's, but I think it's richer. I can't wait for you to see it. I'm delighted. You know, so, it's, it's funny because well, you know when I think of you, I I don't automatically think of you as um, someone who does comedy. Yet, looking at your your IMDb page, you have done a lot of comedy. And yeah. I just recently, I was talking to Steve, I just recently saw you in Curb, and you were saying just before that you didn't want to improvise, and Curb is, 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 is all improv. Um, how was that for you? Was that fun? Oh, that was thrilling. That guy, that guy's amazing. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, really, the idea that he turns out that material on a regular basis, and it's, it's here's the idea, here's a couple of key lines. Now let's shoot it. That's that's. There's no rehearsal. They shoot everything, and whatever comes out, or he'll stop, and he'll say, "Okay, keep that, keep that. Don't, don't forget that. Let's do it again." 
And it's, that's the way they did it. And I'm so impressed with that because it was, it was by the seat of our pants. And it's really, it, and it works. It was fun. That also was a company of good people. By the way, a key to some of the success of these series, I think, is the casting of the crew as well. It's really a family. Wes Anderson is a perfect example of that. They're always the same crew. That's true of uh, the great filmmakers. Woody Allen, uh, Bergman, anyway. Well, you know, the thing about Larry, because, you know, I, I started my career as a stand-up, so I know Larry. I've known Larry forever. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And the thing that that's so lovely about Larry is that he takes a lot of pride in using people from his past. Like, he's cast so many comedians. And that that's something that has always been very, very important to him. Good. And I, I actually did an episode of the show, and it was yeah. a blast. Were you, were you surprised? Was I surprised at what? At the, at the system, at the way it works, the way it functions. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I knew that there was no script because, because <laughs> I knew the show and I know a lot of people that worked on it. And, uh, you know, you get, well, well, I had to audition for it. So they give you a little piece of paper that looks like a Chinese fortune from something from a Chinese fortune cookie. <laughs> and, they ju- and it's basically just the gist of what the scene is about. Right. And for me... The pressure was because everybody who was in the room, I knew. So I just didn't want to suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if I didn't get the part, I didn't get the part. I just didn't want to be bad because you're improvising. And it turned out, obviously, it turned That's out wonderful and it was funny. a great experience. Do you, do you still do stand up from time to time? You know, do you I haven't it? done it. I, I kind of started to go back to it a little bit, you know, the last maybe two years ago, but I, I did it. That was basically my career for like 30 years. But yeah. then I became a writer and a producer and it just got in the way. So. You got to do it all the time. You know, my first, uh, I see you wearing an L.A. cap. I, my wife is a very serious Yankees fan. Oh. But when I, I lived, I met her in L.A. She's from West L.A. Uh, we lived right near the golf course in uh, Rancho Park, uh, Chevy Hills area. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and I, when I was out there in L.A., Drysdale and Koufax were pitching. Wow. That's how far back I go. Wow. What a team. What a team that was, man. That was that was a rotation. That was a pitching staff was that oh, one. Maybe. But but my I, what I was wanted to mention was that my first professional show as an actor was in LA. Uh it was uh in the Coronet Theater. It was a Ray, a Ray Bradbury play called um The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. But it turns out that there's a character in um, uh, in Larry's show, the guy who plays Murray, shame on me, the guy who plays Murray in the Goldbergs. Uh, Jeff Garland. Yes, Jeff Garland. Jeff said that he has a stand-up act at the Coronet on Mondays. And I did, uh, I have a bit that I do from uh, Ethan Cohn's plays. I've done a lot of Ethan Cohn's plays. And it's really funny. And he said, come on and do it. So when I do it, you guys are going to come and see it. Oh, absolutely. It's really That's funny. Great. That's great. Yeah, I would love to. Would love to. So, uh, you know, you played a lot of comedy in the early part of your career throughout the 70s. The Ritz is a really well-known uh, yeah, play yeah. And, and movie, obviously. And then Salieri comes along in Amadeus. And at that point, uh, things take a turn for you playing the bad guy a lot. Yeah. Uh, did, did that get frustrating? Has that gotten frustrating? The thing that the, the release for it, yeah, a little frustrating. I, I, there's a lot of stuff I simply turned down. Maybe that was a mistake to turn it down for so many years. But anyhow, 
I just didn't want to keep repeating. The uh, savior for me, the salvation was the stage. There's always the theater for me. There's always available. There's so much theater here in town. At least there was. Damn. But anyhow, so that was my release. So if you get, if you got offered a, a film role and a stage role at the same time, what would you choose? Oh, it depends on the role, of course. Fortunately, uh, because of the Oscar, I don't have to worry that much about money. And uh, so I, if, if, if the stage role is better, I'll take it. Yeah. You are uh, doing it. I mean, if it's, if, it's, if it's Wes Anderson, I'll do anything. If it's the Coen brothers, I'll, I'll do anything for those guys. I, I really feel that strongly about them. When you were growing up in uh, Texas, did you know you wanted to be an actor? No. I wanted to be a hoodlum. I was headed to jail, practically. I was, uh, I was part of a, a stupid gang. And we weren't that dangerous like they are now. But the way I was going, it was just a matter of time before I got busted, you know, really busted. I mean, we were doing crazy things. And then in high school, I just wanted to get out of school and get out of town. A teacher saw something in me and said, try this. Change my life. Another gift from heaven. I keep saying gift from heaven. I do believe there's a power somewhere. I'm not too sure what that power is doing lately, you know. But uh, it's... Uh, it, it, I've had a great deal of good luck in my life. My marriage, for one thing. I just happened to meet this woman through a friend. And we've been together now for 60 years. Wow. If that's not good luck, what is, you know? Yeah. Congratulations. 60 yeah, years. Thanks. Wow. Uh, so at one point, and I, I'll bring the, I don't know if this is something that uh, you, you're sensitive about or that you don't like to talk about, but you famously played in the Fruit of the Loom commercials. This was, <laughs> I was just back about to in bring the that 70s. Up. You, uh, you played the leaf in those commercials. Right. And if you are of a certain age, you remember these things well. Is that just the, the, the price of being an actor? Oh, man, that was fun. I thought we did a lot of commercials in those days. Most of them were done here in New York. It's changed now. But then you could audition for six, seven, eight commercials in one day, running around from one place to another videotaping. And those things saved my, my ass, my, paid for my, my children, their education. The commercials, I have, I'm not ashamed at all. We had a good time. Shooting commercials in those days was really fun. It was much looser. It wasn't so much bottom line then. We were turning out a, a decent product and having a good time, and we, we were offered the costumes. We were offered, and then there was a bit of like uh, when the people who are paying for the commercial are on the set, they always have something to say, and they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, they're not pros. So what we used to do, what the, the guys used to do is provide lovely women and attractive men as bartenders. And, and kind of get them soused while we shot. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, it was fun. Um, you, uh, you've spent a lot of time in your career on stage. Yeah. What do you get from stage work that you don't get from, from television, that you don't get from film? Size. I don't mean just the, the, the camera. I'm talking about the, the gesture. There's something that is so freeing for me about that kind of acting. I love opera, for example, because of the size of it. I love a big house because it forces you to use your instrument, to be heard, to be seen. It's, uh, it's difficult to explain the difference. In making movies, what you are is, it, is 
is being extremely private and uh, inviting the audience to look at you as though they're through a peephole. They're there, but they're like not there. Hmm. In the theater, it's completely the opposite. They're there, I'm aware of it, and I'm playing to them. I'm trying to bring them along with me. Their contribution to the work at that time is absolutely the reason, it's the reason stand-up works, I think. Mm-hmm. Yet they feed you. And, 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 and it, it, sometimes it, like, it, it, it inspires you, doesn't it? And uh, that's what it is, because on stage, you never know what's going to happen. Whereas in a movie, if there's nobody in the house, the film is the same. It's the same movie. It's not true. If there's nobody in the house in the theater, then it's a rehearsal. Right, Does right, that right. Well, you, yeah, you're getting that automatic reaction, too. I mean, the, the, yeah. the feeling of being live somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, I've only done a handful of plays, and I never did them for a very long run. But did you? my fear was always... I'm going to go up online, so I'm going to forget something, and then I'm not going to... Have you ever had an experience like that where you forgot lines and had to just bullshit your way through? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's an actor's nightmare. I mean, it's not your nightmare. It's everybody's nightmare. The the, the worst thing is, and a couple of times, I simply stopped, and I've said, I'm lost. You know, you get to a certain point in your career or your life where that's okay. I can say that. (laughs) I can do... And I'll ask them, but but uh, the, uh, that's not I'm not proud of it. But it is every actor's nightmare. By the way, often enough, uh, and many actors will tell you this if they're honest. Sometimes when a, when a show is just opening and you're about to make your first entrance, I've done this. I'll turn to my colleague and say, "What's my first line?" <laughs> <laughs> my dear. It's shit your pants time. You know, <laughs> you know when I was uh, doing a lot of acting when I was young, um, I the one issue I had, and I think this probably has made me, uh, it, uh, this is one of the reasons I wasn't as good as I hoped to be, is that when I would be doing long monologues and stuff, sometimes I would find myself outside my head watching myself uh, deliver lines, yeah, which yeah. I guess is the opposite of being present in the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but you've touched on the dilemma. I mean, we're all guilty of that. We have to fight against that all the time. Sometimes when you're doing a really, really marvelous piece of work, you know, sometimes we get to a point where we're competent. We have chops. We're going to do it. It's going to be satisfying. But it's not inspired it's not that thing you long for and then when you do experience that moment and you make the mistake of saying boy this is really good that's when you blow it man that's when you finish that's what you describe you're looking at yourself saying hey i'm really good well suddenly you're really fucking bad (laughs) (laughs) wow you you've seen me perform <laughs> you personally, Steve. Yes, me personally. Um, there's something about an overlap between your your theater work and your role in uh, in this Apple Plus series, uh, mm. Mythic Quest, and that's there's a theatricality oh, yeah. to C. W. Longbottom that makes him such a such a standout on the show and so much fun. I think I can't. I, that's you. You described it. I've mentioned the word fun a lot through our little conversation, but essentially, 
I think that's one of the keys to inspiration is to really have a good time with it, to really let it flow, let it, uh, let it breathe. And this play encourages this character to just be as outrageous as he wants to. It's, now, did it's, you uh, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Murray. No, it's just uh, I'm, I'm pouring more accolades on the writers. That's all. Now, did you know the uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia gang that, that created this? Did you no, know them prior no, to this? I'm telling you, this came out of the blue. I mean, it was inspired. It was a gift. I mean, who would have thought of F. Murray Abraham for this show? I mean, are you kidding? You know, my classical background. And in fact, it feeds into this so brilliantly. So that they're learning from me, not only me, but my character. And my character's learning from them. How ideal. You know what it's like? It reminds me of uh, uh, what it must have been like years ago when uh, they had those great big houses, uh, usually uh, to house four generations of a family. Mm -hmm. The family all took care of each other. You didn't just put some old member of the family, a grandpa, in a home. He was in the family, and he intermingled with the rest of the family so that the kids learned from him and he, and they took care of each other. My point is, that's what this feels like. It's like the, the oldster is not out with the garbage. Hmm. He's part of the family. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, the theater and, uh, of course, film, uh, and the world is very much uh, shut down right now or starting to come back. I guess there's light at the end of the tunnel now. How long do you think it is before we see, for example, Broadway make a recovery? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a, your guess really is as good as mine, you know. I, I miss it so much. I really do miss the stage. There was a play that I was about to do. I was like a co-producer on something based on uh, some of the conversations between Norman Mailer and his son, Buffalo. Mm. And it was all of Norman Mailer's words. It wasn't anything made up. And it was a conversation between the son, the father, and a feminist uh, critic of Norman Mailer, a writer. It was a ter it's a terrific piece. But then the pandemic happened, so it's on the back burner. But as soon as we can, we're going to produce it. But uh, no, I don't have a clue. The sooner the better. You reference critics. There's a uh, really obnoxious little critic on Mythic Quest. Uh, his name is Pudishu. <laughs> uh, and he gives out a certain number of buttholes based on how much he likes a particular <laughs> a particular game. Um, it's it's a hilarious little wrinkle in that show. But but after after all this time in, in the business, do you still read reviews? Do you pay attention to reviews? Well, uh, I'll tell you what I do as a when I'm on stage, uh, when I'm doing a show, I won't read them for about a week. Then I'll read them. But if you do it right away, it's a mistake, I think. In the, in the second place, if your reviews are bad, you know it because the morning after your opening, if the phone doesn't ring, then you've got some really bad reviews. Hmm. Hmm. I'm telling you. But also in this town, uh, people will tell you. Uh, my review for King Lear, which I did at the public, which was within walking distance of my house, by the mm -hmm. way, um, the uh, the uh, the cap the headline over the review was Abraham kills the king. If that gives you an idea, yeah, right. Now, but I got some good reviews, some great reviews too. But the point is, I was walking to work the next day, and some stranger says to me, "Hey, did you read what so and so read about you? Wrote about you?" I said. 
No, I, I won't read the reviews for a little while. He said, boy, he really doesn't like you. I thought, well, thank you. Now I'm going to have to go and do the show if you don't mind. <laughs> don't you love New York? Yeah, yeah. Very direct town. How do you feel about seeing yourself? Do you, do, you, do you watch things that you've done? I'll tell you. It's the same way I can see it in your face. It's the same way you flinch when you watch yourself, don't you? I do. You I don't. You know I, why? I'm not very comfortable watching it's myself. Be, not because you, 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 well, you're looking for all the mistakes. That's what we all do. But I don't know how else you learn. You know, you've got to suck it up and do it. I don't look at it again and again. But I also am delighted from time to time, not very often, when you go, that was good. Right, right. It's, it's when you surprise yourself. That's a kind of a mystery of, the, of our business. Right, think, right, Where right. How did that come from, you know? Well, you know, when I was doing stand-up regularly, I always recorded myself. I would, you know, tape record myself because, you know, back in the day, that's tape, the only way right. you could do it. But it was mostly just to hear the way I would say something. Sure. Because, you, know? mm-hmm. you know, one word in a joke, you know, you know, one too many, one, one not enough. Absolutely. You know, is a spoiler. Let me tell you, have we got time for one more story? Yeah, sure, please. Yeah. This is a story from The Ritz, which was a big hit, by the way, for a while. Uh, it, it, they, they told us it was a disaster. A, 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 a comedy about a bunch of queers? Forget about it. It's going to be it's gonna be shot. Well, anyhow, we ran for about a year. And uh, Rita Moreno was wonderful. But also, Jack Weston was really funny. In the play, it's a farce. A lot of people running around chasing, chasing, doors slamming. And at one point, three of us are on stage alone. There's the setup, there's the punchline, and then the laugh started. And it was, Jack used to count under his breath. Five, six, seven, eight. The the laugh just went on. And it was something we looked forward to so much. And after about four months of this, it stopped. Huh. And we began to, oh, well, it's a bad house. We'll try it next evening. And there was a laugh, but it wasn't like what we were used to. And then after about four shows, we decided something's wrong here. It's us. It's not them. So I said, no, it's, you used to do this. And they said, no, you used to do this. No, you used to do this. So, so we all had the, it never came back. It never came back. Wow. Well, the laugh was there. But it wasn't that wonderful eight ten count laugh. What Strange. an interesting puzzle that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's the same thing with with stand up. You know, you do a joke that works and works and works, and different audiences, and then one night or two nights or whatever, nothing. And it's like your biggest laugh that you've ever had in, in your it. set. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, this has been a uh, pleasure. The show is Mythic Quest. Um, I got to rewatch part of season one uh, to get ready for this. Season two is officially premiering on May the 7th. And you say um, it's, it's going to take a turn. Yep. That's all I'll say. Take a turn. All right. Uh, listen, F. Murray Abraham, thank you so much for doing this. Great pleasure. Great honor, sir. What a pleasure, you guys. Really. Yeah. yeah this has been such a treat. There you have it, F. Murray Abraham with us, Academy Award winner, F. Murray Abraham. So first. You know, I uh, I thought actually our second because Florian Zeller. That's right. 
That's won for right. best uh, adapted screenplay last night. Oh, so, I'm so happy to see that. Yeah, it was great. It was great uh, to see him win. And uh, the Academy Awards were normal until they weren't, Sue. It all went according to plan until the plan sort of became derailed, I think, on those last couple of awards, which were big surprises. Wow. So I finished... 18 and five on my Academy Award pool that I'm in. That was good for 11th place. 18 and five was 11th place, but I still got most of them right. I got mostly all of them right, except for, um, who did, oh, I don't know if you had the sheet when we were talking that day, but, uh. Is that what you're working I mean, on? Of the, of the big five categories, uh, you know, uh, Chloe Zhao won Best Director. Uh, Yu Jun Yoon won Best Supporting Actress for right. Minari. Um, we saw Daniel Kaluuya win for jo- Judas and the Black Messiah. We saw Anthony Hopkins in a huge surprise yeah. over Chadwick Boseman. Wow, did I not see that coming. But you know what? Um, when I When they played... Um, a scene from the father. Yeah. I watched that particular clip and thought, wow, wow. How does he not win? How does he not win? I mean, yeah. I know the sentimental favorite was Chadwick Boseman and you really thought that the Academy was going to give it to him, but how could you deny Anthony Hopkins the Academy Award for that role? I mean, yeah. it was absolutely flawless brilliant. Yeah, it absolutely was. And that's not to take away, by the way, from Chadwick Boseman, who I found moving in every single scene in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But I think a little bit of this is, so if you think about who won all of the so-called precursor awards, um, it was uh, Chadwick Boseman. All of a sudden, you've got an older academy, Mm -hmm. older and whiter, and probably have dealt with to some degree, friends, family with dementia. I think to that audience, to those voters, I think that movie really, really nailed it. I, I totally agree because it was, so, and, and look, you know, every role that you play and if you're brilliant in it, you know, it, it, it doesn't in some ways, I don't know, maybe doesn't matter, but, but to play, to portray the character he portrayed and yeah. to do it, so brilliantly, you know, like you said, you know, I mean, I have people in my family that, you know, that have it. And uh, it was, it was like so real. Yeah, so yeah, real it really me. was. It really yeah. was. And I said right beforehand, I said in any other year, Anthony Hopkins would be a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, and then, and then he, he did win it. And then, you know, for all the talk about, you know, Audra Day and uh, and Francis McDormand and Carrie Mulligan and Viola, uh, Davis. Viola Davis. I mean, that whole crowd. I did not expect Francis McDormand to win. I didn't either. She wasn't. Well, even when we talked about it, I mean, she she wasn't even like fourth to right, me. Right. You know. I mean, that, that was completely... No, I, but here's the thing. I think she's fantastic in the movie. Yeah, I just absolutely. thought they'd say, all right, well, she's got two. That's enough for Frances McDormand. Uh, let's, let's spread the wealth a little bit. Um, and in the end, 
I mean, she is the singular figure in the best picture of 2020. I mean, Nomadland for me is the best picture of the year. Um, it moved me the most. If uh, even here talking about it, it's kind of haunting. Uh, I think to think about that movie and she's the singular point in it. So I do understand why she would win. I just expected it to go a different way. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think Uh, we ended up, uh, I ended up on Carrie Mulligan. You ended up on uh, Viola Viola Davis. Davis. Yeah. Yeah. And it went uh, Francis McDormand, but overall I thought, uh, I thought the awards were pretty good. One thing I don't understand. Okay. So did you watch the hour leading up to it? No. Okay. The hour leading up to it, all five of the best original songs uh, were performed and they were pre-taped, um, but they, a lot of production value went into them. And all I could think was, why would they not make those part of the show? They're great. I mean, the songs are fantastic. They put a lot of money, fireworks and all kinds of stuff into the uh, production. Why would they not make that part of the show? It's like one of the most entertaining parts of the Academy Awards. I know. It's kind of like, well, now that you're describing it to me, it sounds like like the pre-taped awards that don't really mean that much. You know? Yeah, yeah it totally does. Like show, you know, oh, well, this person won this, you know, but it, but we did that yesterday. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And then the other thing that I think is, I've not read a bunch this morning, so I don't know what people are saying about the uh, Academy Awards, but I'll be curious to see. I can't imagine that it's popular that they just let every nominee talk as long as they wanted to. That was ridiculous. (laughs) It was ridiculous. I mean, you know, the guy who won for, um, what was it, uh, best... um, um, international best foreign language film. Best foreign language film. I mean, his story was was very moving. Yeah, but he was like giving us his life story. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and it was like it, it had like it had like three endings. I'm I'm <laughs> curious as to how much he had to cut Several from his false actual endings. Film. Yeah, <laughs> well, from his film, his yeah. film was maybe like five hours. You know? <laughs> and yeah. and I didn't want to make fun of the guy because the story about his daughter. I mean, it was just you know it was so heartwarming. But you know maybe he needed to cut out some stuff in the middle so he can keep that in there. I think know? tighten the second act. Tighten it up. Tighten you got to tighten that up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I you know because I've always said, hey, it's the Academy Awards. Happens once a year. This is like the greatest moment in someone's life. Let him talk. Well, this really put that to the test. <laughs> this really put that to the test. Yeah, Frances um, McDormand had a nice, short and sweet, you know. But, you know, she's been there so many times. So does she have to thank her, her husband again? You know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I thought overall uh, it was fun following the awards this year. And we got to talk to a bunch of the people, which was really cool. And I thought the show, especially with those couple of twists at the end, uh, was really surprising. And I thought, I, I know everybody else will hate it because that's uh, the job of uh, of Twitter to hate on everything. But mm-hmm. I thought the awards were good. I liked them. Yeah, it was fine. Um, and I liked uh, Questlove, and I liked the little game that he played with the with the um, the nominated or not nominated songs. Yes, Glenn Close, huh? Yeah, Glenn Close, <laughs> doing the butt. Wow, impressive, very, impressive, very impressive. Beginning her campaign for next Academy Awards season. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, Sue, thank you very much. Oh, you know what I got to do? Are you kidding me? Are you going to really let me forget? Jacob and Ronnie. Jacob and Ronnie. I'm not going to let you. You know, you started to say goodbye, and I would have stopped you. Look, if you or 
anyone you know is injured in any kind of accident, my friend Jacob Imrani wants me to explain this to you. So, he knows you're busy, but if you've been injured in a car or a work-related accident, it's not like having a cold, calling the doctor a week later. How quickly you call the doctor after an accident is vital to your case. First of all, for your own health. It's important to see a doctor to get treatment and to document your injury, but if you try to set up the doctor's appointment through your own health insurance, it could take a week or two. That's why you got to call an attorney, Jacob. He can set you up with a doctor, even a specialist, usually within 24 hours to make sure you are on the path to recovery and that you properly document and bolster your case against the insurance company. So if you or somebody you know has been injured in any kind of accident, call Jacob 24 hours a day, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB, 844-24-JACOB, or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's fine. It's fine. You know, at this point. At this point, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we don't have it done by now, it's it's not going to happen all of a sudden. It's like that uh, scene. It's like that scene F. Murray Abrams talking about where all of a sudden you stop. You know, at some point you're just like, eh, that's what it is. Um, all right. Uh, well, there you have it. There is your Culture Pop podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate you uh, being out there. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, and uh, Sue, thanks a lot. Thank you. See everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.